Hey, uh, so glad that you're here at Ada Bible Church this weekend. Um, if you haven't met me, my name is Brad, and uh, I'm one of the pastors for our young adult ministry here at Ada called Union. Uh, hey, to um, just kind of kick us off this morning, uh, I just have a question. Uh, how many times have you been waiting patiently in line? Uh, you finally get what you ordered, you come up to the counter and you grab your steaming cup of hot coffee. And then you, you look down at it and you realize there's a name on it, but, uh, but it might be your name, but it's spelled incorrectly, or maybe it's not even your name at all. I've had everything from Brett to Brady to Brandon written on my cup. And uh, when it happens, you know, you just kind of smile, you shrug your shoulders, you go on with the rest of your day. I mean, you would never look at your Starbucks coffee cup and say, well, uh, Brandon, uh, well, I guess my name is Brandon from now on. Uh, it's, great, it's great that this Starbucks is conveniently located next to the DMV because uh, I'm going to have to go next door and change my driver's license and all the other things because from now on, I'm going to be known as Brandon. No, you, you would never do that. You would never do that with a Starbucks coffee cup. But there have been times in your life where someone put a label on you, and it was a label that really did stick. It became a part of your identity. And maybe it was, uh, maybe it was a good thing. Uh, someone looked at you and uh, a teacher when you were in elementary school who, who just said, uh, hey, you are really smart. And that label, it, it stuck. Or maybe it was your dad who put his arm around you and just said that you were really brave. And it stuck. Or maybe it was your first boss who looked at you and said, you're so organized. And it stuck. And then there are other times in our lives where, uh, where it's just not good, is it? A person who said that you were just too tall or too skinny or too fat. And it stuck. As someone who said that you were too emotional, you're not strong enough, or you're not fast enough. And it stuck. As someone who said that you didn't have enough money or enough looks. And, and it stuck. The question is, uh, what voices do you allow to speak into your world and tell you who you are? What voices do you listen to? that tell you who you are, because there's no shortage of voices. There are about a billion different voices buzzing around our world, trying to tell us who we are. Everything from people that we know to, to billboards, to Instagram ads, to complete strangers who are trying to speak into our lives and tell us who we are. Uh, Jesus listened to a voice that told him who he was as well. In fact, we can, uh, we can read about it here in the book of Luke, chapter 3. Here's what it says. It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, and it said, you are my son, whom I love, and with you. With you, I am well pleased. 
So Jesus knew exactly who he was. He knew what God thought of him. He knew that he was God's son who is loved and who is, who, he's just well pleased with him. And my hope for us today, as you leave this space, is that you know who you are as well. That you understand how God sees you because there, there are a lot of voices that are tempting us every single day to listen to, to lies about who we are. Uh, today, uh, we're in a series called Encounters with Jesus. And uh, today's encounter, um, it's gonna, be a, it's gonna be a little different. It's an encounter for sure, but uh, today's encounter, it's not with a dad, it's not with someone who has an illness, it's not with a soldier. Today's encounter, today's encounter is a face-to-face, one-on-one conversation with, with the devil. It's Jesus facing off with evil itself. Uh, today's conversation just unfolds in four different parts. And part one of our conversation is called identity, just our, our identity. Uh, this passage comes from the book of Luke. And in order for us to really understand this passage and begin to digest this passage, I, I just think, I think we need to know our identity. I think we need to know who we are. I think we need to know how God sees us. And so I'm just going to take a minute, and uh, maybe you're new here, or maybe someone brought you, or just kind of exploring church, you're checking it out for the first time. And if that's you, I'm so glad that you're here. And I just want to take just a quick second and kind of uh, boil down what the Bible says and what it says about how God sees us. So let me tell you what the Bible says. It says that before the beginning of time, God planned that Jesus Christ would come to planet Earth, that he would take on flesh and become human, that he would be rejected by humanity, he'd be crucified on a cross, and when he died on the cross, he was, he was taking on the punishment of all the sins that we have ever committed and all the sins that we ever will commit. And as he was dying on the cross, it was payment for those sins. He was taking on the punishment and payment of our sins. And he died on the cross. He was put in a tomb. Three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating death itself. And as he did, it was just a declaration to the whole world that the payment on the cross was enough that God has accepted that payment. And Jesus ascended into heaven, and he's right now seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father, ruling over all of creation. And you and I, now, when we put our faith in Jesus, when we put our, our trust in Jesus, we who were sinners, we become children of God. We become adopted into God's family. He looks at us and he sees us and he calls us his son or his daughter. Now, if uh, what I just said, if that was uh, just a whole bunch of words or if it was confusing in any way, please uh, pull, pull aside your campus pastor or if you're online, connect with us online. We would love to help you understand and begin to walk through what the Jesus story is and how it connects to your life. But that last part, that last part is key for us 
to understand our identity. When we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, we become God's kids. We become adopted by God. He looks at us and calls us his children. In fact, there are just a couple of spots in the Bible where we can read this. Here's one from the book of John. It says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become, here it is, children of God. Here's another one from Ephesians. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. I I love that last part. Why did God adopt us? Why did he make us his kids? Because it makes him happy. I love that. There's another passage where The disciples are just struggling. They're wrestling down this idea. And so they come to Jesus and they ask Jesus, hey, will you help us? We're trying to figure out how to pray. Can you teach us how to pray? And Jesus responds and he says, well, just start out this way. Start out by saying our father in heaven, because that's who we are. We're God's kids and he's our father. So what do we believe here at Ada Bible Church? We believe that if you put your faith in Jesus, you become God's loved son or daughter who makes him happy. But I don't know, if you're, uh, if you're anything like me, there are moments where it just doesn't feel that way, does it? It just doesn't seem that way. That brings us to uh, part two of our conversation today. And part two is just called the doubt. Let's check this out in uh, Luke chapter four as the story continues. It says this, uh, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And so Jesus, he's he's in the Jordan River. He's baptized. He comes up out of the water. A voice from heaven comes down and says, you are my son. I love you. I am so pleased with you. And then Jesus walks up out of the water and he walks into the desert and he spends 40 days in the desert. Now, uh, the first time I kind of read through, worked through this passage, I just thought that Jesus was uh, maybe in the desert for like 39 days, just having some chill time, some alone time with God. And then on day 40, the devil shows up and they have this showdown where he begins to tempt him. Uh, But that's, that's not what the text says. The text says for 40 days, the devil tempted Jesus in the desert. Like every moment of every day, the devil is just poking and prodding and pestering and tempting Jesus over and over and over. Jesus just wants to get some rest. He lays down in the sand and puts his head on a rock and he can't because he keeps hearing the whisper of the devil trying to poke him and push him and prod him and tempt him. And what is he, uh, what is he tempting Jesus with? I mean, how is he tempting Jesus? He says, 
if you're the son of God, then turn these stones into bread. It's like stones to bread. Uh, but, but wait, that f- what was that first part? It says, if you're the son of God? Wait a second. God literally just said, you are my son. I love you and I'm pleased with you. And the devil comes and says, if you're God's son, if you're God's son, that's exactly, that's exactly what the devil does. The devil takes the words of God and begins to, to twist them, begins to question the things that God has already said. You know, there are only two times in our Bible where uh, the devil shows up face to face with a human. Uh, one time is here when he shows up to Jesus, and another time is way back on page three of your Bible. Uh, the devil shows up in the Garden of Eden, and he uh, begins to talk to Adam and Eve. And God had just been with Adam and Eve, and he had just told them, hey, this garden is for you. Every tree in this garden I have made for you. You can eat from any tree here in the garden. Just don't eat. Just don't eat from this tree right over here. Not that one. And the devil shows up and says, hey, uh, that a thing that God said, uh, did, he, did he really say that you couldn't eat from any tree here in the garden? No, 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 that's not what God said. God said you can eat from any tree, just not this one. But the devil takes the words of God and begins to twist them around. Takes the words of God and begins to just question them. But you and I, we don't really have to worry about that, right? I I mean, because uh, the last time I checked, I couldn't take a stone and turn it into bread no matter how hungry I got. And so uh, maybe this was a temptation for Jesus, uh, but it's not really a temptation for me because that's just not something I can do. Well, here's the thing. I don't think it's about the bread at all. I don't think it's about the bread. I think this is about trusting in God and trusting in what God has already said. And what is it? What is it that God has said? What is it uh, that he said about who you are? He said, if you trust Jesus, you are God's son. You are God's cherished daughter. But the devil, the devil's going to try and just twist that and question that. He's going to throw out one word. In fact, it's a a word that... um, He throws out to Jesus every single time he tempts Jesus that we're going to look at today. He he starts by throwing out one word. And I think, I think it's a word that he throws out for us as well. And here's what it is. It's the word if. If. He says to Jesus, if, if you're the son of God. I think this is a word that he uses to throw out to us and tempt us as well. Twisting the things that God has said. If, you know what, if God really loved you, you you would have landed that job interview. If God really loved you, you would have more money saved for retirement. If God really loved you, you would be dating or married by now. If God really loved you, Mom and dad would never have gotten that divorce. If God really loved you, you never would have received that diagnosis. 
if, if, if. The devil says to Jesus, if. If you're the son of God, then you could do these miracles, but because you can't or you won't, then how do you really know? How do you really know that God actually cares, that he actually loves you? And Jesus responds to every if that the devil throws at him. He responds with one word as well. And he always responds every single time that we're going to look at today. He responds with the word it. It is written. Every single time, he, he actually, he quotes the Bible here that we're going to look at. He's quoting the book of Deuteronomy, and he says, it is written. It's like Jesus is saying to the devil, listen, I don't care. I mean, I don't care what you have to say to me because I am clinging on to the things that God has already spoken. He told me, he told me I'm his son. He told me that I'm loved and he told me that he is pleased with me and I am hanging on to that and that alone, the words that God has written to me. I'm hanging on to that and that alone and using it to clarify for me what is true and what is a lie. Jesus responds to every it, if that the devil throws out with the word it. And I just wonder, I just wonder if some of us, we feel like we're stuck over here. We're just living in this world of if. And we're just having a hard time just spinning our wheels. We're thinking things like, because I experienced that hurt, or that heartache, or that loss, because that relationship didn't work out, or that career path ended, I'm wondering if, if God really loves me, if God really cares. Because I made that mistake, or because I dropped that ball, I'm just wondering if, if I'm really good enough for God's love. What would it look like for us to replace every if in our world with the word it. It is written. And if you're struggling to just understand what it is that God says about you, let me, let me remind you of a few moments where it is written. It says this, it is written, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's another one. It is written. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we, we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. If you're ever wondering if you're living over an if world and you're trying to remember what God says about you, he's, he's called you a child of God. That's what we are. There's another passage that my wife and I love. It comes from the book of Zephaniah. It says, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. I remember this passage really sinking in uh, when we brought our twin boys home from the hospital. And we brought them home, and they're little teeny tiny babies, and we laid them in their cribs. And then, fr uh, like, friends and family would come over, and they would just ask us, hey, uh, how's it going? 
Like, how, how is it being a new dad or a new mom? And we would say, it's so great. It's amazing. Uh, like uh, our babies, we, we'll do this for fun. We'll just like lay them in their cribs and we'll wait for them to fall asleep. And then we'll sneak back in the rooms and we'll poke our heads over their cribs and we'll just watch them breathe. It's amazing. Their little chests go up and back down and up and back down. And we could watch them breathe for hours. It's fascinating. Why? Well, because we, we can't even begin to express how much we love these little teeny tiny humans. And, but here's the thing. They don't do anything for us, right? They, uh, they sleep, they eat, and they cry. That's it. If I had a friend who just slept and ate and cried, I probably wouldn't be their friend for very long. But I love these tiny babies because they're my kids. They're mine. They're my, they're my kids. And I wonder if when we go to bed at night and we lay our heads down on the pillow, if God stands over us and says, I love you because you're my kid, it doesn't matter what you did today or what you said today, God stands over us and he sings a song of joy. A song of joy because he delights in every single one of us. When I get really stuck, spinning my wheels, and trying to remember what God says about me, there's a passage from the book of Romans that I, I just absolutely love. It says, for I'm convinced like, I am sold out on this idea. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future nor any powers, neither height or our depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing, there is nothing in all of creation that could separate you from the love that God has for you. There is absolutely nothing. And when I get just stuck in the world of if, I need to be reminded of what it is that God has already said about me. I need to turn down the volume of the voices that are speaking if, into my world, and I need to turn up the volume of what God has said about who I am and how he sees me. Because it's, the reality is it's the, it's the voice that we listen to that has the power over our lives. And that brings us to part three of our conversation called The Power. The story continues and says this. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the devil uh, takes Jesus up to a high place and he says all this. Everything, it can all be yours. You can have all authority, you can have all splendor. You just gotta bow down and worship me. 
uh, but wait a second, where is Jesus right now? Like right now, Jesus is on the throne with all authority and all splendor ruling over all of creation. So what is the, what's the temptation here? Well, at this point, uh, Jesus knows. He knows that it won't be long before nails will be driven through his wrists and through his ankles, before he will be bruised and bleeding, before he'll be spit on and mocked, his beard will be pulled out, and he will die a horrible and painful death on the cross. It's not going to be long before that happens, and the devil is saying, hey, uh, do you want to just skip all that? The devil is offering Jesus a way out. Why don't you just skip the suffering and go right to the splendor? Why don't you just skip the pain and go right to the power? All you have to do is bend your knee and worship me. Give me your allegiance. Let me have power over your life. And Jesus says, no. My knees only bow to one and that is the Lord. I will worship him and worship him alone. Jesus is saying, everything I am and every choice I make and everything I do, they all belong to God. Everything, it all belongs to God. I think you and I, I, I think we could probably just say it this way. God, it is all yours. It's all yours. Everything I am and every choice I make and everything I do, it is, it is all yours, God. Uh, God, you get, you get my money, you get my mind, you get my body. God, you get my car, you get my phone, you get my relationships, you get my computer, you get my job, you get my marriage, you get my free time, you get everything. God, everything I am belongs to you and you alone. And the temptation... Temptation is to twist that around, right, and say, no, 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 it's all mine. It's all mine. I will do my life my way and my timing for my glory. My money, I'm going to spend it the way I want to spend it. I will sleep with whoever, whenever I want to. I'll do whatever I want to on my phone or my computer. I will live my life the way I want to, do the things that I want to, because it's all mine. It's all mine. Everything I am is all mine. And Jesus says, no, it's all yours. And the, the part of this that really um, just amazed me as I was preparing for this teaching Scholars just emphasize over and over again that Jesus could have taken the deal. Like this was a legit offer. The devil could have said, here you go. Here's all authority and all splendor. Just worship me. Like this was a real deal. Jesus could have skipped the suffering, skipped the pain, and gone right to the power, and he didn't take the deal. I mean, it seems like a pretty good deal, right? But Jesus didn't take the deal. Why did he pass on the deal? Why, why didn't he do it? Why didn't he take the deal? I'll tell you why. Jesus passed on the deal because of him. Jesus loved that guy so much that he knew if he didn't go to the cross, there would be no way 
to reconcile that guy's relationship with God. Jesus loved that guy so much that he didn't flinch, he didn't hesitate, he didn't waver, he didn't consider when the devil offered him a way out. He knew right away that there was nothing that the devil had to offer that could match how much he loved that guy. Jesus willingly went to the cross. He willingly went to the cross for me. He passed on the deal for me. And he willingly went to the cross for you. He passed on the deal. He passed on the deal for you. And Jesus said to his father, he said, everything I am, it's yours. It's all, it's all yours. But the devil isn't, isn't quite done uh, tempting Jesus yet. He has one more thing to say, and that brings us to part four of our conversation called the test. Here's what it says in Luke chapter four as we continue. It says, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Uh, scholars believe that uh, they take Jesus to the Temple Mount, which you can see here. Uh, this is a rendition of what the temple looks like. Um, and uh, the highest point of the temple is right up here. And it's the highest point because uh, at the base of the temple, there's the valley. It's called the Kidron Valley that goes all the way down here. It's, uh, it's actually about 450 feet from the highest point of the Temple Mount all the way to the bottom of the Kidron Valley. Uh, Josephus, a first century reporter, he was there. He got to see this uh, in its fullness, and he wrote about it. And he said it was a dizzying height. It was just so high. It was amazing, incredible. Uh, just for perspective, uh, if you were to go to the tallest skyscraper here in Grand Rapids, you would head downtown and you would go to the River House. This is the one that uh, you can see from the highway. Uh, if you were to pull up, uh, walk inside, take the elevator all the way to the top, walk out on the roof and poke your head over and look down, yeah, you're looking down 406 feet. Uh, Jesus is in the neighborhood of 450 feet. Like just an astonishing height. And the devil takes him up there and he says, uh, just jump. Go on, uh, just jump. You're, God, like God is going to catch you. He'll send his angels to catch you. Uh, won't he? Like he would catch you, right? Pro like pro he'd probably catch you, wouldn't he? I have uh, three boys, and when they were really little, um, they loved the swimming pool. Absolutely loved it. They couldn't swim at all, but they absolutely loved the swimming pool. And so whenever we would go, they had this fearlessness when it came to water. And so they would uh, stand at the edge of the swimming pool and just jump right in, sink immediately to the bottom, and I would have to dive in, scoop them up off the bottom of the pool, and like uh, dad of the year, set them on the side of the pool, having just rescued them and saved their lives. And as soon as I let them go, 
they jump right back in the pool. <laughs> like there's something, there's something that is good about that uh, where my kids just know, uh, they trust, they believe that I will be there and scoop them up off the bottom of the pool. Uh, but part of me is like, why do, I have to, why do I have to prove that to you every two seconds? And for my kids, it was just a game. They didn't even compute in their brains that if I wasn't there to save them, <coughs> that they wouldn't, uh, that they would drown, that they wouldn't um, be able to come up on, to the surface on their own. And Jesus says to the devil, he says, yeah, you know what? You're, yeah, you're right. You're right. My dad would catch me. I know that he would. I can, I'm confident. It's true. My dad would catch me. But listen, I am, I'm not interested in playing games with my father. I don't need to prove it to myself that he would be there, and I don't need to prove it to you. And when we know, when we believe what Jesus, what God has said about us, what God has said about who we are, we don't need to test it. We don't need to make him prove it. We can rest in the reality of who he said we are and how he sees it. We can just sit and rest in that truth. As I was uh, j just praying for this sermon and uh, just praying for the people, you who would be here seated uh, today and those of you watching online or on our campuses, um, I just... Um, I, as I was praying for you, I just had these uh, thoughts that there are voices in our world that I think are just tempting you to believe a lie, uh, to believe something that is not true about who you are. And so as I was praying for you, I just, I just made a list, a list of some statements that are true. And I just wonder if today is a day that you begin to dial down the volume of the voices in your world that are speaking lies to you. And maybe today is a day that you just need to listen and hear some of these statements that are true about who you are and about how God sees you. So I'm just gonna take a second and just read through this list. Let these soak into your heart, into your mind, and your soul. You are not alone. Because Jesus is strong, you don't have to be. You are accepted and you are wanted. It's not too late. Because of Jesus, you are not broken, but you're healed. You are whole and you are complete. You are beautiful. You are not the sum of your mistakes, but because of Jesus, you are blameless and you are perfect. Jesus still loves you. The thing you did, he knows, he sees it, and he still loves you. Because of your faith in Jesus, you are God's son, or you are God's daughter. You make God happy. You make God happy. 
that brings us uh, just back to here. What are the, the labels that you allow to be applied to your life? The voices that you listen to? What voices are you allowing to tell you who you are? Because today, as we just work through, we need to be remembering our identity. Who it is that God says that we are. Because there will be moments where we begin to doubt. And we're remembering that it's the voice of God who speaks into our life and tells us who we really are. And when we listen to his voice and his alone, it gives power over all of our doubts and all of our worries and all of our frustrations. And today, uh, for those of you here who are followers of Jesus, the reality is we only listen. We only listen to one voice. And it's the voice of God who looks at us, who sees us, who sees that our penalty has been paid on the cross, who calls us his son or his daughter, who he loves and who makes him happy. I'd love for you to stand here at our campus and on your campus as well. And I'll just pray for us as we head into a new week together. Let's pray. God, um, I know there are just so many of us here who are listening to voices that aren't true. Other voices that are trying to speak lies into our lives. And I pray that you would protect our hearts and protect our minds. God, that we would be reminded of who you say that we are. And when we begin to doubt that, we could replace every if in our world with the word it. And as we do, we would allow you to have the power over our lives, reminding us every single moment of every day that we're deeply loved by you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks for being here. I hope you have a great week.